Welcome everyone. <clears throat> I see that there are still uh, people arriving. And so let's begin our sitting as our uh, silent and generous welcome to everyone.
Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. So lovely to um, to sit together, even though we're not in the same room and we don't see each other. But <clears throat> we've grown accustomed to, in some ways, this um, this being together in this way, and it it feels wonderful to sit in silence, and uh, even if I. I look and just see the numbers changing as people arrive. It's a, it's a lovely feeling. I want to start my brief reflection uh, today, which invites your questions and your comments and our <clears throat> excuse me our connection as usual. And I'm not simply wearing jewelry today. <laughs> you'll see that this pearl, which I've had for many years, has a, a, a meaning and a, and a teaching. We're all, of course, familiar with the, uh, the way that a pearl is made and the, the imagery that goes with it. But here's a portion of a longer story from the Zen Koan collection. Just a portion of it. Uh, Gensha was um, a fisherman, and for many years uh, he hadn't seen any of the scriptures or the sutras, um, but he was just an ordinary guy, but he put his earnest resolve in practice above everything else. And by his constancy and sincerity, he became one of Seppo, who's a a senior teacher, one of Seppo's favorite disciples. And Gensha was said to always wear a very simple cloth robe full of patches. His only master was Seppo, and he never never deviated from his master's teachings. So it was just an image of a regular person in the world, like most of us. And that um, he lived a simple life, um, Nothing extraordinary. And he wasn't part of uh, a, a monastery. It's said in the koan that after he, uh, quote, attained the way, when he used, he used this saying to explain the Buddhist teaching. The entire universe 
is one bright pearl. The entire universe is one bright pearl. Once a monk asked him, I've heard you teach that the entire universe is one bright pearl. How should we interpret that? So the monk is saying, what does this mean? Gensha replied, the entire universe is one bright pearl. What is there to interpret or understand? And the next day, Gensha questioned the monk back. He said, the entire universe is one bright pearl. What's your understanding of that? And on that day, the monk said, the entire universe is one bright pearl. What is there to understand? And Gensha completed the conversation by saying, ah, you now know that even in the black mountain cave of demons, complete freedom is working. Even in the black mountain cave of demons, complete freedom is working. The entire universe is one bright pearl. The entire universe is nothing but freedom and perfection operating, even though it doesn't seem like that. Sometimes it seems more like the black mountain cave of demons. <laughs> because life, as we know, can be quite um, shocking and unpredictable. And so we have to find ways to, to respond and to adapt. And sometimes our responses are wholesome and life-giving, and sometimes they're not. But we can make a commitment to turn toward, rather than turning away from life, and begin to learn to navigate the difficulties in a more wholesome way. Uh, Helen Keller, who we know from history, faced many difficulties, said, all the world is full of suffering. It's also full of overcoming. Said, yes, there is suffering, but there's also freedom. There is the black mountain with the cave of demons, but there's also one bright pearl. So just as we know that the grit in an oyster becomes a pearl, awakening our practice quickens, develops through wise contemplation of suffering. The overcoming, when Helen Keller says it's also full of overcoming, this overcoming isn't some, um, you know, like domination and, and correction, but instead transformation or even transmutation, you know, the old idea that um, something could be turned to gold, like the grit that becomes a pearl. Um, a conditioning factor for this process is what the Buddha called nibida, N-I-B-B-I-D-A, in Sanskrit, nibida, which means disenchantment. That through practice, we're no longer enchanted, captivated by 
what we chant at the end of our time together, the self-centered dream. We're no longer captivated by our virtual reality that we've created through our perceptions and reactions and defenses and fears and angers and closing down and delusions. But the navigation of all of that is what we wake up to. That's what awakening is. It's the navigation of delusion. The negotiation of delusion and the opening. Without those things, there is no awakening. That's what we awaken to. But this turning toward, as you know, or you, or you probably wouldn't have shown up today, requires courage and support. It seems almost impossible sometimes, but it is possible. And in the process, we don't really find any ultimate answers, although we hope we will, what we find is a way to live together based on curiosity. We find ways to be maybe more compassionate more of the time. And most of all, to simply continue. Suzuki Roshi uh, would use in his teachings, probably most commonly, two words. Constantly, constancy and sincerity. So this courageous turn toward life as it is, is founded on this willingness to look deeply with an open heart and an open mind and not looking for some false protection of certainty since there is none. Another female voice from the past, sometimes when I uh, have quotations or readings from some of these well-known figures who are well-known to those of us who are older, I wonder if some of the younger people know who Helen Keller is, or in this case, Anne Marl Lindbergh, um, who had gone through um, you know, much suffering with the kidnapping of their child. She said, I do not believe that sheer suffering teaches. If suffering alone taught, the whole world would be wise since everyone suffers. To suffering must be added mourning, understanding, patience, love, openness, and the willingness to remain vulnerable. So as Helen Keller says, all the world is full of suffering. It's also full of overcoming. And Lindbergh begins to say something more about this. She said, I don't believe that sheer suffering teaches, even though that negotiation of suffering is how we awaken. If suffering alone taught, the whole world would be wise since everyone suffers. And then she makes a list. To suffering must be added mourning. Without grieving fully and often and continuously through our life, we remain caught in the past with old hurts, with losses that aren't fully metabolized, digested, and these become barriers to unfolding. I once asked my primary mentor in psychotherapy, what are some of the primary barriers, especially early on in psychotherapy, for 
someone to begin to change. And he said, the inability to grieve, to let go. So mourning, the second in Lindbergh's list was patience. One of the paramitas in, in Buddhism, one of the perfections of the Bodhisattva. But I think of it in this case as the spacious acceptance of our humanity. The spacious acceptance. Giving ourselves room to move with the pace of life. So patience requires us to accord with the pace of life instead of the pace of our preferences. We, we live, even if it's in the background, with this thing about it, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't go so slowly or it shouldn't go so quickly. These are our preferences. But if we have this patience, acceptance of our flawed and stumbly humanity and learn to rest in the pace of how life actually goes, it looks a lot like patience. In her list comes openness, which is a little abstract, just open. <clears throat> I say if we live with the very embodied rhythm of the breath, coming and going, not constant or static openness, which I think is unreal, but a continual opening and with the breath, there's a maybe expansion, a little contraction, but it's responsive. And that flexibility and willingness and responsiveness is what adds life and the willingness to continue to take a breath. And in many cases, in fact, I was saying to Jessica earlier, the single most common thing I've heard in the last three weeks, I mean, literally this phrase from so many people, I can finally exhale. A sense of release. But openness also means to be able to take in and release. The patience for life's pace, the willingness to mourn and let go. Openness, the flexible vitality of life. And then in Lindbergh's list, the willingness to remain vulnerable. Which, and I'm borrowing a phrase, from Peg, which I love so much. She's talked about softening into strength. It, it seems, they seem like different things, but vulnerability is a softening into strength. And then the other word, which was actually higher in the list, but I saved till last in Lindbergh's list was love, because it includes all the others a willingness to mourn, to cultivate patience and a rhythm of openness and the vulnerability of softening into a vital kind of strength. You know, these are, on the one hand, ordinary, um, just like the fishermen, but they're also immense capabilities, allowing us to be intimate with all that arises and all that we're met with without completely shutting down or turning to a distracting behavior or, or distracting practice. You know, life is always changing. 
as we know, and we're challenged to find a way to move in accord with reality without making things worse. You know, we, I've, I've said this, you've heard me say we can fight reality, but ultimately reality wins. And so it's useful to find a way to move with it. Joko Beck would say that Buddha is nothing more than life as it is. This is the reality of wakefulness unfolding. This is one, the whole world is nothing but one bright pearl. And as we awaken to life as it is, we're called to live our lives just as they are. That doesn't mean we don't offer ourselves fully to transformation, to goodness, to um, killers overcoming. But our practice practices don't promise us you know, that we're going to transcend the world of experience and live in some spiritual heaven. That sells more books and more DVDs, but it's a false promise. But on the other hand, we're also not destined to be just bound by all of our painful and constricting conditioning forever. Life is workable. And our willingness to face it with some courage and grace, with the help of others, makes it possible. The poet Mark Nepo, which I'm uh, more contemporary, I'm sure most of you know, one small phrase from him, he said, having loved enough and lost enough, I'm no longer searching, just opening, no longer trying to make sense of pain, but being a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub to a pearl. Having loved enough and lost enough, there's Lindbergh's list. I'm no longer searching, just opening. Just sitting, no longer trying to make sense of pain. It's not intellectual understanding like the fisherman but being a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land, actually receiving our life and responding, receiving our life and responding, like the breath. These are the irritations that rub to a pearl. This is where awakening happens. And this is a great description of our very unadorned practice of Zazen. In Japanese, we call it Shikantaza, or just sitting. It, it seems so boring. Um, it's not sexy or esoteric like so many meditative or yogic practices, which are fine. But this simplicity goes against this desire that we often have, which we want more, like some belief we can hold on to it's going to solve everything, or an esoteric practice that will provide the magic that will, will free us in the way we want to be freed, or we want a guru or teacher, someone or something other than me and this. Something more than stopping and settling into silence and stillness 
and then meeting what arises with intimacy. We move from, it shouldn't be like this, with all the reactivity that comes forward with the enchantment of that position, to, oh, it's, it's like this, which makes way for wholesome and creative responses to what is, not what's perceived and constructed in our virtual realities. There are moments when it, it might seem almost impossible to simply embrace our lives as they unfold. Certainly I felt that within the last year, the last four years. It seems out of our reach sometimes to come to terms with our relationships, with our feelings, with our bodies, with the, the world in which we're embedded, just as they are. It can seem such a formidable task, but we can help each other. Remember to turn toward experience, to be more gently intimate with our lives, with curiosity, and a willingness to then meet what we find with constancy and with sincerity. And we can encourage this way of living and we can model it for each other. And in the process, we can make space for the times when we inevitably fail at this and turn away. But in so doing, we offer ourselves and others a generous and forgiving heart because this is being human. Everything belongs. And it's all workable if we learn to hold our hearts and minds open to the questions which are life-giving and generous. The grit that becomes the pearl. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. If we learn to hold our hearts and minds open to the questions which are life-giving and generous. So maybe you have some questions or some grit that you'd prefer to to turn into a pearl or help you see that there's nothing but one bright pearl, that that's the entire universe operating right now. Even if it looks like the dark mountain in the cave of demons. So please raise your hand and we can, uh, we can meet. Hello, John. Hi, Flint. You look like you have a virtual crowd behind you there. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, my grandchildren from about four years ago, and oh. I'm waiting for them. Sweet. Okay, well, for quite a long time, I wondered why both the terms pain and suffering were used. I thought, gosh, what is the difference? And not too long ago, I found somebody said that the uh, original word might better be translated as dissatisfaction. Yeah, dukkha being translated as dissatisfaction. Uh -huh. Dukkha. Okay. So I was wondering, is that basically it, or is there, uh, or is there something more that uh, I might learn about what suffering is? I think that's satisf satisfactory. 
um, you know, pain <clears throat> comes with having a body and having a life. You're old enough to know that. Yeah. It's just part of what happens. Uh, and it's sometimes quite useful. Uh, the suffering is, uh, someone said one time, pain times resistance. Or uh, I, I usually speak about it differently. Instead of pain and suffering, I'll talk about necessary suffering and unnecessary suffering. The suffering that's created by our enchantments, by our self-centered dream. Uh, dukkha is a given. And that's the first noble truth. Dukkha exists. It happens. It's not some, it's not your fault. The whole world isn't just suffering. Some of the misinterpretations. It, it's what's happening. It's everything that's happening. Um, and it's impermanent and interdependent and vast and it keeps going no matter what you prefer. So how we navigate that because mostly we feel that we're dissatisfied. There are things we cling to, there are things we push away, things we ignore, don't understand. That's the second noble truth. But if we open in the ways I've been talking about today, that's the third noble truth. There's freedom involved by navigating that. The fourth noble truth or the eightfold path of, of how we cultivate that capacity. So that's a little more than you ask, but uh, you're asking the question invites the, the sense of there are certain things that are just part of being in life. But then, mm -hmm. then we can create this unnecessary stuff, which we're calling suffering. Well, that's helpful. I'm glad you expanded on it. Yeah, good, good. Thanks for your question. That's a good one. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting um, way as, as Becky comes on here, I think, is that Penelope. Um, I'll say, if you want a little phrase just to hold uh, for a while in your practice, just hold that phrase, the entire universe is one bright pearl, and see how it works on you. So, Penelope, I think you're muted right now, but... There we there go. Um, well, I just wanted to thank you for opening up uh, in your talk the study of words. Like I was, I'm referring specifically to enchantment mm -hmm. because the way you know, in other words, we've grown to be, I guess just take for granted that enchantment is sort of a good thing, you know, like in a fairy story that you're enchanted and wonderful things will happen or, but mm -hmm. then you know, they forget about the fact that you could be enchanted and turn to the frog too. So, you know, That's right. the way you used it was so beautiful. And I just wanted to thank you for this study that you do each week because it helps open up these things that, like you said, it's like a, noble truth where we take for granted or ignore or whatever or we don't see them until you have you have the ability to open these things up that may seem just maybe some people take it for granted or some people understand right away but all of us don't understand at the same level and <laughs> your inquiry is so beautiful 
So mm -hmm. thank you for opening that up. Sure, sure. Well, you, what you often see is my best um, effort to offer what I'm practicing with in the moment. So you, <laughs> you're getting to see what's uh, calling me in a way, but hopefully is in accord with what's moving in you. And that's our, that's our dance. Because it's a very, you know, we can be enchanted by so many things that can, that can seem like, well, they're like red herrings, you know, that can take us off the path mm -hmm. and we're not even aware of it until we get farther along that path. And, and we have a word for that in Buddhism too, Mara. Oh, yes. Because that's the, the energy, the image of the one who takes us off the path and we lose our way. So They're like Mara tried to t tell Buddha not to teach, right? Yeah, it's sort of the image of the one who challenges him. Right. Uh, it's sort of like the, the, the devil or the tempter or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. He's, on, he's in the dark mountain of the black cave with the demons. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for your support and your encouragement. The entire universe is nothing but one bright pearl. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. That was unexpected. <laughs> I thought I'd be in a queue. You were. It was really short. <laughs> so I'm I'm asking a question for a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, not in that kind of going to the doctor's way. It really is for a friend. Um talking with someone about Sangha and about the so much emphasis on Sangha and relationship and um, spiritual friendship and something about what happens if the if the Sangha is at best for this person um, unattuned or bruising and at worst kind of a bit toxic and damaging um and is it the do you kind of just keep going with it or do you think maybe this isn't right for me well um, the, there, there are several portals into response of course is you might each of you might respond to your students in the same way yeah. uh, the simple one is we invite people to um, try different teachers and different songs to see where they feel at home. Mm. Because not everyone will respond to the same teacher or the same sangha. Uh, just like if you're going to a 12-step meeting, you know, there are many meetings, they all have different flavors, similar to that, you know, different churches you go to. So mm. uh, that, that's one level. Another is that there are sometimes when people carry woundings, trauma, whatever you want to call it, in such a way that it makes it very difficult to, for them to use what the Sangha has to offer. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not a blaming, that's just a reality. Uh, it's just not appropriate. They, 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 something offered is not able to be used uh, because it comes with so much complexity, yeah. human, humanness. Uh, um, and so one has to be sensitive to that. And maybe a, a, a one-on-one relationship with a, with a therapist who's Dharma inclined and things like that would be more helpful for, for a while. And then thirdly, there are times in which um, this is a little harsh the way I'm going to say it, but someone was reporting a meeting with Joko Beck once and describing their woes and difficulties. And she said, so what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what happens. But you have yeah. to be a person with a certain capacity to be jolted like, oh, I'm, I'm enchanted. I'm caught in myself. I'm, I want it to be this way. It's not nice mommy and daddy. It's not the, I'm replaying this stuff in my family and it's never going to come out that way. Now I can look at it. This is yeah. pointing at something. So now we're talking about a powerful and messy probe, you know, that's calling yeah. forward something. And if a person has that capacity, then they can use it. But the other two ways I've been speaking, you know, have, so those are different facets. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh, I guess... what it means to be a teacher is to know what's the best direction yeah. for whatever student, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because there's something about that, um, you know, if we're using the ice cube idea or the tumble gems in the tumbler, it's like um, some people just get cracked in the tumbler and that might not feel wholesome or... That's right, that's right. Um, there's not it's not one size fits all. Not everyone is made uh, to do the same practice. Yeah. Because the qualities that I was speaking about, for example, the little list I had in the Anne Morrow quote, those are the same qualities for a teacher. Yeah. To be patient. Yeah. And to care and to be flexible and to be open and all those things to be able to uh, grieve and mourn and ask for forgiveness. You know, we're all in this together. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. And you've, you've lived in enough spiritual communities that you understand this, all those things. All those things. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank thanks you. For, thanks for bringing it to all of us today. I appreciate it. There's Becky. I saw your name while ago <laughs> somewhere in there. Hi, Fland. I, I, um, I already sort of had an idea of a question I'd like to, to raise before I came today because since last week's inquiry, the offering in in relationship to love and relationship was, it it was very powerful. It was so courageously and beautifully offered and it stayed with me in a variety of ways. And I've appreciated that hugely, but it, it, I bumped into some things in in letting it reverberate through me a bit yes. that um, that are current um, 
and and so I I thought I'd ask a question about it. Mm -hmm. Well, across time, sort of having come to Appamata with some curiosity, but the distance that um, my previous life as a spiritual eclecticist yes. <laughs> allows me, which is I'll just check in and see what this is and gather what I can if it's not somewhere I want to stay a while, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so gradually over time, as I've engaged more, but still sitting perched, you mm -hmm. know, um, that I came one, one to hand on the door. <laughs> well, at least my foot ready to move quickly if need be. Mm -hmm. um, but but what I found was that there came a time several months ago that I recognized, oh, I I love the sangha. Mm -hmm. Not only not only are the teachings completely aligned for me, but I love the sangha, mm -hmm. and. So I felt safe then because, because we all are each here with a component of our vow. Sure. And, and so because we are, that has its safety that lets me look at my reactions differently. Right, right. But recently I've been aware that I might be hovering somewhere between or have a component, I guess, of, of attachment beginning rather, not rather than, but instead of the connection that I feel love can be in mm -hmm. and that I want to bring certainly to it. But, but when I bump into those places where I feel fear, I suspect that I might be having some connection thing going on instead. Let me make sure I understand. You say you you feel this affinity and appreciation and love for the Sangha, but attachment, you mean some sort of unwholesome attachment to the Sangha and then some fear of loss or whatever? Yeah. So that's that really does point to the fact that you're a human. Oh no, <laughs> don't tell me something like that. <laughs> Because if we, if we allow ourselves to risk loving and being loved, and I say risk, then we're vulnerable to loss. That's why mourning and grieving comes high on the list of capacities. Um, loving and being loved, being held close and being attended to deeply doesn't make us immune from the vulnerability that comes with relationship. What it does though, over time, as we practice and develop, uh, as you said, trust and other things, we have a capacity to move with those changes and fears. We have a place where you can, like you're right now, you're admitting, you're admitting your feel fear. Well, if you didn't have enough faith or trust in the Sangha, you couldn't do that. So that's what, it's not that we don't have them, we suddenly have a place where they can be met. And that's what makes it more wholesome uh, and more trustworthy. That, oh, I, like I said at the end of the talk, everything belongs, everything's workable. And even if you feel what you think are unwholesome attachments, yeah, those things will come up sometimes. 
But now you can look at them instead of letting them drive the bus. And grasp at them. That's right. And even if you grasp at them, you start to feel, oh, like if you make a fist with your hand like you just did, you can feel it's uncomfortable. But if you start to let it open up, and if you look at it, you can feel the release. Oh, that feels that feels better. And maybe someone else has to hold your hand so it doesn't cling back up again. There are many images you can use. Everything will show up if you're practicing effectively. Not less will show up. Everything will show up so that you can awaken through everything and realize everything is one bright pearl, even in the dark mountain and the cave of demons. Thank you so much. Yeah, right there in the beauty of Vancouver. <laughs> Ah, good evening, Claudine. <laughs> I don't know exactly how I managed to to come on screen because I hesitated, but I thought I did nothing, and suddenly I received the message that I was on the waiting list. I've been dancing all afternoon with the same thing you you talked about. Mm. I was reading Joko Beck's uh, "Nothing Special," yeah. and thinking about it and you know how much the, the image of the cave is important for me that's right that's right and also also i i must admit that the difficulties i had to with sitting meeting with the fear in my body yes and unable to enter this this fear just unable to enter my body just feeling it full of, of fear yes. and then I, I realized that my mind also had fear and it was fear of this fear yes mm -hmm. <laughs> and well after a while i thought that maybe i just do how can i say that just to begin with the fear in mind mm -hmm. and because i'm not i'm not obliged to 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 be afraid in mind i mean it's a second arrow really and i can and i think the fear in my body comes from very preverbal states so right. i have just mm -hmm. to to become intimate to it and patient i think yeah absolutely and just hold that one who became afraid so young in her body yeah but it's very i can tell you that sitting is not a pleasure <laughs> no it's not it's that's a it's a very fierce practice that's true yeah but it's so funny because when i talk to you and to all our to all our friends that are here that I, I can see I can't see but I know you are all here yeah. well <laughs> I don't feel my body at all it's it's not at all alive but as soon as I'm sitting then I begin to ah it moves mm -hmm. it's You're different oh. you, live, you live in this body yes and it's not such a pleasure just now so that's all what I wanted to say, but yeah. okay. Thank you. 
Thank you, you very much. You demonstrate to me, and now here, and I know you were part of Apamada and also with Josh and Trudy, various sanghas, you demonstrate those two qualities that Suzuki Roshi mentioned, constancy and sincerity. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Uh, have a nice day, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Bonne nuit. Thanks. Oops. There you go. You got both of them on. I think I've got them both. <laughs> Audio and everything. I'm ready to go. Well, I like the um, very much the image of the of the pearl. Mm -hmm. And after watching the inauguration, everyone with their pearls on, and then I open up and you're wearing your pearl, and I think, oh wow, because. It's the grit. It's, it's a whole new way to think about the grit. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, I'm, I have two very good friends who are, whose health is declining yeah. rapidly. And um, I've been pretty closely involved. Well, one of them is, is uh, in a home, and I can't be except by phone, but the other one... Is in and out of the hospital and all these kinds of things, and it's just—it's just so hard. That's the grit for you right now. It's the grit right now. But does and, it call, does it call forward something beautiful in you, though? Something possible, something fresh. Well, perhaps it does. Because you're talking and, about, it sounds to me like you're talking about your love and your care for them oh i do i care a, a lot and and i was thinking the other day that i think i would just be mired in grief mm -hmm. but but for the sangha mm -hmm. and you and peg and suzanne yeah. and all my other teachers have you know it's it's uh I feel like I can I can deal with it. Yes, and it brings forward these loving qualities in you, even right next to the difficulty or the pain. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. It's not just I feel fantastic. Practice solves my problems, no. or I'm <laughs> mired, as you said, and lost. Oh, it's all this. It's everything. I can it be is, a larger, and... larger container and hold this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what practice does make possible. Well, you know, every once in a while, I just get a nudge or a smack that makes me realize yeah. how true that is. And yeah. I just wanted to, to thank you and all my other teachers and your teachers. <laughs> that, that's an important thing to say, actually, all the way back. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you for carrying it forward in our sangha as you do. And may your friends be well.
Hi, Kim. Hi, Flint. It's good to see you again. I got my vaccine. Oh, you did. Hooray. Dose one. Good. And you're feeling okay? Yeah. A little yeah. sore arm, but that's it. And Aaron got his too. He did. Yeah, what? because we're in a small place. And even though he's only 60 years old, he has an underlying condition, his brain tumor. So they said, sure. That's so great. Hooray. So, Sorry about all that. It just no, I was wondering, so I'm thankful to know. In the midst of it all, so. Mm -hmm. what yeah. Today? It's a little bit of a carryover from yesterday, as well as just appreciating your message. What was the line? And I wish I'd written it down about the pearl. Um, that the entire universe is one bright pearl. There are various <laughs> translations of it. Dogen has a little you know, the, the 10,000 things are nothing but the one bright pearl. It reminded me of a koan that I heard recently where I think it's the teacher asked the student, show me one thing in the universe that is not medicine. Mm -hmm. And I, I had been thinking about that koan some because there's some things, there's some medicine that's hard to take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, yesterday, so just for the folks listening, I'm in a practice discussion group with Flint and um, one of our dear Sangha members, Kathy, brought this reading on timelessness. And it offered a way of thinking that's a little different. I understand been, and it's been incredibly comforting to place well, really anything. In the reading, it was a carrot <laughs> so, or a potato. Or thing with vegetables, right? It was, it was about vegetables. It was, it was a delightful reading. But, um, but I've been placing my sorrow mm -hmm. and I've been placing myself and I've been placing my son, who's, as you know, quite unwell, um, in this sense this deep sense of timelessness. Mm -hmm. And not really as an escape, although there are times I really do want to escape, but in like this sense of, like you were saying, everything belongs, including his mental illness, including... Even if it's a dark mountain in a cave of demons. Right. Like the, the one bright pearl still functions. Right. It, it belongs. And, but the, the aspect of it being timeless, what I realized is then <clears throat> it also isn't so sequential exactly of like, I did this thing and maybe then that's what led to this thing that then did this thing. And then, you know, like, because I'm, I'm always trying to figure it out and what I can do and what's the appropriate... It, it def time. Timelessness defeats all narratives. 
Right. And they just all fall away. Right. And in a certain way, there's then like, and I don't say this in a trite way, there's a perfection to what it, and that's, um, yeah, that's, that's a little different even then, you know, because I, I'll apply and think about sort of our interbeing and our connection and, but the, but the element of timelessness is really rich. Mm -hmm. Yes. It, and, it opens and gives you a little more space. Yeah. A lot more, actually. <laughs> it's sort of. No, it's, it's the absolute quite a bit. Quite a bit more space. And unfortunately, we have to attend to time now. Yeah, that's right. Back to the relative. <laughs> but but I appreciate your comment so much because it also reflects a digestion of how you stayed with this koan of timelessness. But in a way that's quite practical around sorrow about your own lovely son. You know, it's it's not abstract. Yeah. It well, helps a... make possible what seems impossible. Still full of sorrow. Right. Yeah. So I'm appreciating the pearls of, of every and of you as well. So thank you. And thank you for uh, your work in the community. I know we, we have to go. We're going to do our final chant now, the four of practice course. principles. Of course. And this, these four practice principles, you'll see once again, our reflection of just what we've all talked about, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you so much, everyone. Appomattox programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your contributions make such a difference. If you'd like to make a contribution via the website, you can do so at appomattox.org. Uh, that can go towards the facilities and programs or to the teachers directly. And make sure and indicate in there if you'd like your contribution to go directly to Flint. Thank you all so much for being here today. And if you have more time and would like to connect more, uh, maybe we'll see you at the after inquiry. You can find the link on the main calendar. Thank you.